five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.
All right. That was uh, Inga Ginsburg. The universe echoes back. Let me make sure I had, I had, yeah, had the audio on there. That's good. All right. Excellent. Wow. <clears throat> that might be like one of the greatest videos I've ever played. Like the music is pretty good, don't you think? I mean, it's loud. The, the, the players can play that, that violin solo. That guy was ripping. The production values were off the charts on that thing too. And the, you know, the message is kind of interesting, right? That's like the universe echoes back. If you sow hatred, the universe echoes back. If you project love, the universe echoes back. Don't be a sheep. Take your power back. Anyway, <clears throat> this is why you pay me the big bucks is to find songs like that so that I can play them for you. Uh, that's uh, Inga Ginsburg. Uh, she was 95 years old when she made that video. I don't know how old she is now. She's probably somewhere between 97, maybe 98. She lives in New York City. And um, she is was born in Austria and um, got out of uh, Austria uh, during World War II or prior to World War II. So she escaped the horrors of World War II. But there, there's there's some interesting pieces about it. Now, apparently she's a spy, or she was a spy. I don't, I don't know much about that part of her life. I just have seen it in the title of some of these things. Holocaust survivor. Well, for her to be a Holocaust survivor, I think she would have had to have been in a camp. But she was not in camp because her and her husband escaped. They got out of Austria and they moved to Los Angeles. And uh, he was a songwriter in Los Angeles. She was a, a piano player and she learned how to play piano and do recitals and stuff like that. So she was kind of the it girl in Austria growing up. Like she was popular. You know, she'd play in people's homes and, and live in that rarefied life, living that life. And uh, then they ski daddle out of there and they go to, to the United States. And he, and she writes lyrics, the husband, um, you know, writes the songs and the melodies. I think they had a, maybe a couple of hits with Dean Martin. And eventually she outlives everybody and moves to New York City. And she's discovered by these young people who, you know, decide that they're going to start this kind of proto metal band around her. Although it's not really metal. It's kind of more like proggy metal. So, you know, anytime you have strings and stuff, I, I guess didn't Metallica have strings at one point? Anyway, Inga Ginsburg, 95 years old, the universe echoes back. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy video, but I kind of I kind of like it. I like I like how she's kind of nuts with the little sheep puppet. If you uh, are just listening on the podcast, welcome by the way. The visuals were actually uh, quite compelling. Let me check in with Chatlandia. What did you guys think or Chattario? What did you guys think about? That that song. Let's see who do we have here. Uh, Lisa, Queen Lisa's here. Uh, Scrubbies, Empath are all children of the chat blonde. I think a large percentage actually. Uh, let's see. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Kelly B's here. Miss Nakia. 
There's Ryan, head of the uh, IWW uh, Workers of the World. Uh, who else? We have Hucklebuck. What's going on, Hucklebuck? Four eleven. Double B. Beth Barry. Check it in. There's Sony. Uh, who else we have here? Nicholas Graham. What's going on, Nicholas? Nice to see you in chat. Uh, let's see. Who else? Fran. What's going on, Fran? CC Jones. There's my man, Thomas. TJ Thomas Jordan. Oh, sorry, Tondar. Sorry, Squares. Only the most edgy nonconformist would put an old lady in their pan. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to pass on the like share for that video. Uh, you are the walrus. That video is excellent. I agree with you. I think it's a great video. I. It's it's okay, Tamara. You don't you don't have to like and share. I'm with you, Tamara. Tom's not into it either. I think it's fucking genius. I was totally waiting for the sacrificial lamb to get slaughtered. Catherine Kramer's here. There's my man Steve. We had a nice chat last night. I'm trying to uh, song kind of made my stomach hurt. <laughs> Uh, Cremo's in the house. Does gray hair count as blonde? Yes. It was probably blonde once. Uh, oh, Lisa realized she didn't have her name right. Yeah, you got to get it right, Lisa. Uh, fuck nukes, not unicorns. Welcome. Wow, you did make it. Congratulations. I was born ash blonde and then went light brown. My grandmother's middle name is Danger. I'm a 50s, 60s type of girl. You know, I hear you. I hear you. Who else do we have? Timothy, what's going on? Good to see you, Timothy. The fat sacrificial lamb slaughter would have been the icing on the cake. So, it's, so I saw a documentary on this woman last night. It's about a 20-minute documentary, which is how I, I uh, discovered her. And um, very complex, super, super, super complex. There's other songs that she did, but I actually like that song. And I, I you know, I like kind of like I kind of like bizarre music sometimes. I like outsider music. There's some bizarre music that I just I've never really been able to warm up to like i know a lot of people love captain beefheart i mean they're just oh man captain beefheart he's a genius oh my god he's amazing i'm like really i'm not getting it i'm not i'm just i'm just not getting it i think tom waits is probably a better version of captain beefheart and i like tom waits i don't like all of tom waits's music but i like a lot of it i think tom waits is kind of a genius and he's sort of on the fringe of being an outsider. Frank Zappa is another one of those characters, you know, outsider music, but kind of outside, inside outsider. And I like Zappa sometimes and other times I'm, you know, I'm not into it. I, and again, I've had this conversation with people that love Zappa. I can't stand the flow and Eddie version of Zappa. 
It's all these little in jokes and doo wop. And I, I'm not a big doo wop guy. I mean, some people like doo wop. I think the 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 only doo wop I really well, there's two versions. You have the so-called white version, like with Dion and the Belmonts, which I actually like. And there, then there's the black version, like Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, which I like even better. A teenager in love and I'm not a juvenile delinquent, but those are really great songs. So it's not like I don't like doo-wop. It's not my go-to in terms of a genre. My glasses are foggy. So I don't like I, the, the, I don't like the flow and Eddie. Frank Zappa loved doo-wop. He loved doo-wop and he loved Stravinsky. That says everything about Zappa. But sometimes when Zappa is on in the fusion phase, man, he's really amazing. And when he's cooking with the fusion stuff, he's right up there with McLaughlin and Mahavishnu and Return to Forever. Of course, George Duke on keyboards certainly helps a lot. But um, yeah, there's certain outsider artists or people that are like that, that I just, I'm like, really? I'm not getting it. I never got, I never got Captain Beefheart. A part of me feels guilty. It's like, I'm supposed to get Captain Beefheart. Because everybody else who's really into music, oh, Captain Beefheart's a genius. No, I don't think so. Just because he paints doesn't make him even more of a genius. Um, you know who comes out of that world is Lowell George. He comes out of that Zappa, Beefheart, Southern California world. Now, Lowell George is a genius. He wrote some great songs. He, Lowell George could sing. Right. So I, I don't mind the outsider thing as long as it's got something. Well, real outsider stuff like Wesley Willis. That's real outsider music. Like that shit's strange. That's somebody who is grappling with reality and chemical states in his brain and working it out with music versus Captain Beefheart who, like how many degrees of separation is there from Captain Beefheart to Wesley Willis? Just in terms of, you know, um, his brainwaves. It's an interesting topic of discussion. If you don't know Wesley Willis, uh, he was one of these, there was this whole school of outsider music that was kind of popular in the early 90s. Uh, Jad Fair, Wesley Willis, I guess Gigi Allen, although Gigi Allen was mentally ill. Wesley Willis was schizophrenic, I think. So the, there are these people who made music in order to kind of keep their grip on reality. I mean, isn't that what all artists do to some extent? Anyway, I'm not sure if um, Inga Ginsburg qualifies as outsider music, but I would say yes. 96-year-old grandma. She's a grandmother. Heavy metal grandma. All right. Welcome to the show. This is uh, 15 Minutes of Flame. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, welcome. Uh, and if you're Listen on the podcast, would like to join us, but you can do that on 15 minutes of flame. That's ovflame.com. We uh, gather together here at 9 11 a.m., Monday through Thursday for now. And we let this tape run until 10 41. By the way, that's Central Standard Time. 
right now it's central daylight time, CDT. Okay, so we're going to break our show down into two um, parts today. And the first part is I'm going to take a, a bit of a look at Eric Adams. And then we're going to begin our descent into the, um, into the mind of Ted Kaczynski. And I've been, I've been listening to uh, his manifesto. Apparently it was a TED talk. Isn't that interesting that Ted Kaczynski's manifesto got turned into a TED talk? So it really was a TED talk. TED is an interesting name. You don't see many TEDs, do you, around? course ted being short for theodore and that was actually beaver's name in uh, leave it to beaver his name was theodore nobody called him theo nobody called him ted every now and then you would hear theodore i think that's when um that's when his mom or his dad kind of got pissed at him everybody loved beaver's mom In the kitchen, always cooking, making dinner, jello, right? Pearls, always dressed to the nines, never impatient. Same with uh, same with Ward, the father, Ward Cleaver. He was one of the best TV dads. He was understanding, empathic, not afraid to discipline his sons. But he never raised his voice and he never raised his hand. They might have been the perfect TV parents. Better than Ozzie and Harriet, I think. Now, Dennis, Dennis, uh, Dennis the Menace. Now, his parents, I think, did a shitty job of parenting. Seriously. They were bad parents. Because Dennis kept, you know, doing stupid shit and getting in trouble. And a lot of it was kind of... Dennis, Dennis was... Dennis was a coyote. Dennis the Menace is a coyote. He's a trickster. That's not Beaver's path. Wally is Apollonian. You know, Wally is the, the high school football player. He's the, the good-looking son, the sturdy son, right? That's, that's Wally. I don't know what Beaver's archetype is because he's not – I'll tell you who the trickster in that show is. I've talked about it before. It's Eddie Haskell. Eddie Haskell is the Heokaya on Leave it to Beaver. And so with Dennis the Menace, they just made a, an entire show out of Eddie Haskell. Although not, he's not as consciously um, tricksterish as Eddie is. Eddie's conscious of what he's doing. Uh, Dennis the Menace, not always conscious. But his parents were bad parents. Who else in terms of TV parents? That were you look back, oh man, those were really good TV parents. The Donna Reed show, pretty good TV parents. But the Donna Reed show is interesting because Donna Reed becomes the lead character, right? It's not the family. The lead character in Leave the Beaver obviously is Beaver, but you're they're focusing on the family. Whereas Donna Reed, Donna Reed's the star, a beautiful woman, by the way. Absolutely stunning woman. 
you remember that show? You probably guess. I'm rambling a bit here. Do you remember Hazel? It was a TV show about a maid. <laughs> okay. They had some wacky TV shows, obviously, back in the 50s. Hands down, my favorite of all time. It's got to be Mr. Ed. I love Mr. Ed. I thought it was funny shit. You know, there was an episode of Mr. Ed with Clint Eastwood on it. All right. Enough, enough down memory lane. How did we get there? We got there through outsider music and um, TV parenting. Let's talk a little about Eric Adams, who is a very unusual character. He's got a very strange background. Let's just get into his background a little bit. Um, and of course, this is going to be the uh, the Wikipedia version of Eric Adams. Eric Adams, for people who are not familiar with him, because we do have people from other countries that listen to this uh, podcast. Eric Adams is the newly elected mayor of New York City. Um, he's taking over from the brazen uh, dyed in the wool, in very fine wool, in tweed, Bill de Blasio. For being a socialist, Bill de Blasio lived pretty fucking good. I mean, this is the this is the lesson. This is the life lesson for socialism. If you want to live really well, become a socialist. That's pretty clear. Because if you're really good at it, you get to move to the top of the food chain and you get all those socialist perks, which means that you get to live a life that other people don't get to live. The same rules and, and um, regulations that apply to the proles, you don't have to abide by. We see this again and again and again. So de Blasio, I think, had run out of his term for mayor. I guess he couldn't run anymore. What is it? Three terms, I think, in New York City. So Eric Leroy Adams was elected as mayor. And uh, we're going to get into him a little bit here. Then we're going to shift our focus to um, Ted Kaczynski. My hair looks like Ted Kaczynski hair today. The universe echoes back. I love that song. If you don't like the music, you could at least agree with the message that the universe does echo back. All right, Eric Leroy Adams, he was born September 1st. He's a Virgo. He was actually born 21 days before I was born on this planet. He's an American politician who was serving as the 110th mayor of New York City. Break that down. That uh, breaks down into 11. Adams served as an officer in the New York City Transit Police, so he basically was a, a subway guard at one point. That's what that means. And then the New York City Police Department. So he got, he, got, uh, he got an upgrade. He went from being subterranean to being above ground. Over 20 years, retiring at the rank of captain. So he was a captain in the NYPD. He served in New York State Senate from 2006 to 2013. So what happens with a guy like Eric Adams is that he's fingered. It's like, okay, we're, we're going to get behind this guy. He's going to be a part of our machine. And one of many, by the way. So it's not like he's, you know, won, he won the uh, Special Olympics lottery or anything like that. There are other people who, uh, who get to uh, participate, 
let's just say. Because they need they need as many worthwhile candidates as possible. Who will prostitute themselves the most? It's a competition. And the ones who will prostitute themselves the most, the ones who are the most vulnerable, the ones who are the most extortable, those are the most qualified candidates. He served in the New York State Senate from 2006 to 2013, represented the 20th Senate District in Brooklyn. In November 2013, Adams was elected Brooklyn Borough President. He was reelected in November 2017 and was the first African-American to hold the position. So you can see where he really, he starts at the bottom, really at the bottom, like below the surface of the earth. And then he ascends. He ascends from the catacombs and the subways, the underground stations, and he ascends to the surface. He becomes a captain in the police. First, he gets a gig with the police and becomes a captain. And then he's off onto his political career. On November 17th, 2020, Adams announced his candidacy for mayor of New York City. Early polls showed Adams trailing only Andrew Yang who benefited from name recognition from his 2020 Democratic presidential run. On July 6, 2021, the Associated Press declared Adams winner of the 2021 mayoral primary. Adams de defeated Republican Curtis Slebot. That's the uh, uh, that's the guardian angel guy in the general election in a landslide victory. So in order for Adams to win, Andrew Yang had to drop out, which he did. Could Eric Adams have defeated Andrew Yang? Uh, it's debatable. He may not have been able to defeat him. But Andrew Yang got a you know, phone call or a text message or whatever, and he unplugged his campaign. Adams was sworn in as mayor shortly after midnight on January 1st, 2022. As mayor, Adams has held a tough on-crime approach it reintroduced plainclothes unit of police officers that had been disbanded by the previous administration. He has made efforts to improve the standard of living in the city, including implementing zero tolerance policy on homeless people sleeping in subway cars. Okay. He's a tough guy. Adams was born in Brownsville, Brooklyn on September 1st, 1960. His mother, Dorothy May, Adam Streeter, Worked double shifts as a house cleaner and had received only a third grade education. His father was a butcher. He struggled with alcohol abuse. Both parents moved to New York City from Alabama. In the 1950s, Adams was raised in a rat infested tenement in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And his family was so poor that he often brought a bag of clothes to school with him in case of a sudden eviction from his home. In 1968, however, his mother managed to save up enough money to buy a house and moved the family to South Jamaica, Queens. He is the fourth of six children, and his young boy worked as a squeegee boy, which is a very Virgo thing to do. So Eric Adams is, uh, he is a symbol of the American story. Born into an economic situation and station, which would qualify as poverty, through the hard work and determination of his mother, who knows about his father, um, they were able to raise their lifestyle and actually have a sense of security, permanence, and home. Nothing wrong with that. 
It's a good story, just saying, right? Good story. We cheer these stories, especially when the father makes it too. At age 14, Adams joined a gang, the Seven Crowns. They became known as a tough little guy. He is little. He's a little guy. How tall is he? I'm betting he's no more than 5'7 or 5'8. Anyway, let's keep going here. He would hold money for local hustlers. He also ran errands, including purchasing groceries for a dancer and a part-time prostitute named Mickey after she became injured. So he's a heart of gold. He's a Virgo. He's just, he's into service. After Mickey refused to pay for the groceries he purchased or the work he had done, Adams and his brother stole her TV and a money order. So he has a sense of justice. The two were later arrested for criminal trespassing. While in police custody, they were beaten by NYPD officers until a black cop intervened. Adams was sent to a juvenile detention center for a few days before being sentenced to probation. Adams suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder after the incident and said that the violent counter motivated him to enter law enforcement. Yeah, Eric, it's probably better to beat on people than to get beat on. That's a very good life lesson. Adams was particularly intrigued by the black police officer and by the swagger and respect that comes with being in law enforcement. A local pastor added to his motivation when he suggested that by joining the police force, he could aid in reforming police culture from within. Is a mission. Adams graduated from Bayside High School in Queens, 1978, but struggled to maintain good grades. Probably a learning disorder. Uh, he began attending college while working as a mechanic and a mailroom clerk at the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office, receiving an associate degree from New York City College of Technology, a BA from John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and an MPA from Marist College. Marist, let it be known, is a Jesuit school. So he's going to get some Jesuit training in here. Adams experienced an academic turnaround that he credits to dyslexia. See, I told you that. I didn't even read that. I went from a D student to the Dean's list. Well, that's interesting because that actually mirrors my college experience too, because I was, I was one of these kids in high school. Well, first of all, I learned how to read very quickly. I learned how to read. I knew how to read before I got into say the first grade, you know, I could read things, but when we actually started reading books in the first grade, it was like, you know, Two days in, and I'm, you know, I'm burning through the big red book, and now I'm onto the little red book. I mean, I was, I was onto books. I was onto the little green book. Okay, when other kids were still in the little red book, so my reading skills were off the chart, easy, fast comprehension, no problem. Um, but, and I was also very good, believe it or not. I know this is hard to to wrap your head around, but I was really good at uh, class discussion. Teachers loved me. Because, you know, in those situations in classrooms, they literally have to take a crowbar to pry students to participate. And I was not, I was not that kid. So I got by on a lot of kind of class participation. But there was a part of me that was really not a very, not very good, like, like rules of grammar and stuff like that. It made my head hurt. Math made my head hurt. So I would say that I probably did have some degree of learning disability. So my grades reflected that. I could read really well. I could memorize things. I could cogitate complex information. 
but the straight standard stuff, it was just, you know, it was definitely a struggle. So I was not a very, uh, my grade level through high, I think maybe in high school, I might've been a C plus student. Uh, junior college, I think I had a, a C average. Average. Although in uh, my media classes and my television classes, I was, I was at the top, but all the other classes, I, yeah, I was just not, not very good at it. I wasn't that interested, honestly. Now that I look back on it, um, every now and then I'd find some, like when I, when I had this one class and this teacher started to talk about Velikovsky, that, that got my attention. Like, Oh, I like this Velikovsky guy. I want to know. I want to, I want to know more about him. So when I did get to college, um, again, I was still in that kind of struggle mode. And, but, but then I turned it around and then I was on the diesels, just like Eric Adams. All right. Where are we? His mother died in 2020 of heart disease. I never want to wish that on anybody. Adams served as an officer in New York City Transit Police and in the New York City Police Department for 22 years. A good number. He has described his wanting to serve as a reaction to the abuse he suffered by NYPD in his youth and separately stated that he was encouraged to join to lead reform from within. He attended New York City Police Academy and graduated second in his class in 1984. That's when I graduated from college. Eric Adams might be my brother from another mother. Adams started in New York City Transit Police and continued with the NYPD when the Transit Police and the NYPD merged. He worked in the 6th Precinct in Greenwich Village and the 94th Precinct in Greenpoint, that's in Brooklyn, and the 88th Precinct covering Fort Greene and Clinton Hill. White police officers raised their guns at Adams when he was working as a plainclothes officer. He was mistaken for a suspect. Oh. During the 1990s, Adams served as president of the Green Grand Council of Guardians, an African-American patrolman's association. Adams worked with the Nation of Islam in the 1990s because of their work in patrolling crime-ridden housing projects. Adams met with their leader, Louis Farrakhan, and appeared on stage for them at an event. Adams also suggested that Mayor David Dinkins meet with Farrakhan and hire the Nation of Islam security company to patrol housing projects. Adams ties to Farrakhan, who's made anti-Semitic comments, received criticism with the New York Post. Apparently not enough criticism to stop him from becoming the mayor of New York. He probably should have hired Farrakhan's guys. In 1995, Adams served as an escort for Mike Tyson when he was released from jail following his rape conviction. That same year, in response to the election of Rudy Giuliani, as mayor, he co-founded 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care, an advocacy group for black police officers that sought criminal justice reform and who often spoke out against police brutality and racial profiling. So you can see where Eric Adams is coming from. He's the, he's the perfect BLM candidate. That's, that's a given here. The group also held tutorials that taught black male youth how to deal with police if they're detained, which included uh, turning on the car's dome light putting their hands on the wheel and de-escalating the situation. Probably not bad things. However, many activists, including Al Sharpton, criticized Adams' efforts, claiming that he was merely teaching young black people how to live under oppression. 
Okay. Al Sharpton has got a light. He's had a lifetime pass, right? He wasn't born in third base, but he got there pretty quickly. And Al Sharpton is an informant, by the way. That's one of the things that in the discussion of Al Sharpton doesn't really come up all that often. So while he's accusing uh, Eric Adams of uh, continuing this ideal and model of oppression, Al Sharpton is a fucking snitch. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he's a snitch. Let's see what we have here. Um, in 1999, Adam said on, on race and policing, line is at the root of our training. At the academy, recruits are told that they should not see black or brown people as different, but we all do. We all know the majority of people arrested for predatory crimes are African-American. We didn't create that scenario, but we have to police in that scenario. So we need to be honest and talk about it. Eh, that's not a bad statement. Adams was a first responder at the World Trade Center in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks. He arrived at Ground Zero during the evening of September 11th and was in charge of leading a group of police officers to secure the site in the event of a second attack. So they were securing the site also so that the fire department could go through the rubble and pull all the gold out of there, which is what they were ordered to do. In 2006, Adams was put under surveillance and, and investigated for the NY, by the NYPD for appearing on television in his official capacity as a police officer and critiquing Mayor Michael Bloomberg. He retired with the rank of captain from the police force in 2006. So this goes through his um, political career in the 90s. Adams began to eye a political career with the ultimate goal to become mayor of New York City. He spoke to Will, William Lynch Jr., is that Willie Lynch? How'd you like to have the name Willie Lynch? It's a bad name. Who was an advisor to Mayor David Dinkins. A great mayor, not. Uh, about a political career, Lynch encouraged Adams to first obtain a bachelor's degree, rise within the NYPD's ranks, and successfully run for a lower political office. So in essence, go climb the pyramid, brother. During the uh, 1983 mayoral election, Adams supported a support of the incumbent candidate for mayor. David Dinkins made a controversial comment about a candidate for New York State Comptroller, Herman Bedilia. Adams said that if Bedilia, who was Puerto Rican, were concerned about the Hispanic community, he would not have married a Hispanic woman. He would have married a Hispanic woman and not a Jewish woman. So it looks like uh, his uh, training with the Nation of Islam was um, pretty successful. These comments became a point of turmoil in the election and caused controversy for Dinkins, who ultimately lost the election. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure that uh, Eric Adams is the reason why David Dinkins lost. David Dinkins was a horrible mayor. And I think he was defeated by Rudy Giuliani, if I'm not mistaken. And Giuliani ha had the backing of, let's just say, very important people. 
1994, Adams ran for Congress against incumbent Marjorie Owens, or Major Owens, rather, in the Democratic primary in New York's 11th Congressional District, but failed to receive the necessary signatures to make the ballot. Adams claims that his petition signatures have been stolen by someone on the behalf of Owens, but police found no evidence of such. You'd think that they'd be able to uh, do that for one of their own. You have to wonder how, how well Adams was liked in the NYPD. Adams registered as Republican in 1997 before switching back to the Democratic Party in 2001. According to the Board of Elections, Adams has said his switch to the Republican Party was a protest move against what he saw as a failed, as failed Democratic leadership. So he's right in there with the neocons. In 2006, Adams ran for the New York State Senate. He was elected and served four terms until 2013 when he was elected Brooklyn Borough President. He represented the 20th Senate District, which includes part of the Brooklyn neighborhoods of Brownsville, Crown Heights, East Flatbush, Park Slope, Prospect Heights, and Sunset Park. Adams was known for being a rabble rouser in the state Senate who could capture the attention of the media. He would often flaunt his convertible BMW. This is Willie Brown 101. So he's taken a page out of Willie Brown's playbook. And he placed billboards, I guess he's a billboard guy, around parts of Brooklyn bemoaning pants sagging. He also published an instructional video to teach parents how to search their child's room for contraband. Interesting. In the demonstration, Adams finds a crack pipe in the backpack, bullets behind a picture frame, and marijuana secreted inside of a doll. As a freshman state senator, he joined other legislators requesting a pay raise for New York's lawmakers who had not received a raise since 1999. At the time, they ranked third highest in pay among state lawmakers in the United States. During a speech on the floor supporting the pay raise for legislators, he lamented, show me the money. Well, Cuba Gooding Jr. moment. In 2009, uh, two New York State Senate Democrats aligned with Republicans, creating a standoff over who would be the Senate's next leader. It was Adams who worked to foster compromise to nominate John L. Sampson as a minority leader of the New York State Senate. That same year, Adams was one of 24 state senators to vote in favor of marriage equality in New York State. He spoke in support of the freedom to marry during the debate before the vote. When the bill failed to become law, he again voted to legalize same-sex marriage in New York in 2011. On July 24, 2011, New York's Marriage Equality Act came into effect. In 2010, Adams became chair of the Senate Racing and Wagering Committee. This is very important now, very important. This will have a boomerang effect with the story I'll bring up here. It was praised for his engagement in this position. He would spend hours traveling and visiting racetracks to further the study issue. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me go hang out at the track. I'm going to go get to know people at the track. He came under investigation. There's a lot of investigations around Eric Adams. He came under investigation for his handling of choosing an operator to run the gambling operation at the Aqueduct Racetrack in Queens. A report conducted by the state inspector general was critical of Adams' judgment as he leaked information on the bidding process, fundraised for potential bidders, and attended the victory celebration of the company that was afforded the contract. I'm going to get into this a little bit with him. This is something that shows up. 
with him and Don Peebles, who I'm going to talk a little bit about. These are people that you may not know, especially Don Peebles. Um, the matter was referred to the United States Department of Justice, but they took no action. And that has maintained no wrongdoing, calling the report a political hit piece. So he is, he's kind of like Willie Brown Jr., although not as flamboyant. He's a Virgo. He can't be. In February 2010, Adams was, was uh, one of just eight members of the New York State Senate who voted not to expel Senator Hiram Montserrat from the legislature after he was convicted of assault for dragging his girlfriend down a hallway and slashing her face with a piece of glass. How would you like to have that on your voting record? Why, why, do you, why do you vote against expelling him? What, what, what is the rationale behind that? She deserved it. That's just flat out weird. Does not stop him, though, from continuing his rise through the ranks and gaining political power. In 2012, Adams served as co-chair of New York State legislatures, uh, legislators against illegal guns. Of course, he'll have a, He's got a huge security and bodyguard staff. Adams and five other state lawmakers wore hooded sweatshirts in the legislative chamber on March 12, 2012, in protest of the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Of course he did. So for 2013 to 2021, uh, November 5th, 2013, Adams was elected Brooklyn Borough President with 90.8% of the vote. That's what you call a landslide. More than any other candidate for Borough President in New York City that year. In 2017, he was elected with 83.0% of the vote. In both campaigns, he was unopposed in the Democratic primaries. Adams, in his role as Brooklyn Borough President, appointed the members of each of the 18 community boards in Brooklyn. He gets to appoint 18 people. That's power. Half of which are nominated by local members of the city council. So I guess he gets to nominate the other half. Community board members represent their neighbors in matters dealing with land use. That's a very, very important piece around Adams. This guy is, he's a fixer when it comes to real estate. You're going to see that here. In 2016, Adams launched a digital application that could be used as a paperless alternative to applying for a position on one of Brooklyn's community boards. Applications increased by 10%. Land use. Under the New York City Charter, borough presidents must submit uniform land use review procedure recommendations on certain issues of land throughout their borough. Adams has used his ULURP recommendations to propose additional permanently affordable housing units in the rezoning of East New York, the relocation of municipal government agencies to East New York to reduce density in downtown Brooklyn and create jobs for community residents and the redevelopment of 25 Kent Avenue Williamsburg as a manufacturing space with increased property taxes directed to the acquisition of the remaining proposed sections of Bushwick Inlet Park and their development as, as a community resource. So what Adams winds up doing here, and this is the model, is that he gets in and he starts to essentially play the role of fixer when it comes to land, property, and real estate. When you're in government, especially city government, there's a lot of things you can do. You can get involved in the bidding process. You can rig things. You can... Um, use government positions in order to get 
either low interest or non-interest loans. Uh, so you can also um, award projects to people. So he understands this and he becomes this monopoly player. And, and this is where he really, I think, begins to recruit power. And it's through a lot of these deals that he makes. And even when he, you know, relocates the city services into, you know, this eastern part of New York, right? There's a reason for that. And the reason for that is to locate this power base and to, you know, begin to move it outwards. And the affordable housing stuff is a total scam. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that too much, but... Um, Adams has encouraged New York City to build affordable housing and municipally owned properties, such as the Brownsville Community Justice Center over rail yards and railways. Get on space now used for parking lots. On the surface, that's not necessarily a bad idea. On the surface. Adams created the Faith-Based Property Development Initiative, which supports religious institutions that want to develop property for the benefit of the community such as affordable housing and space for community activities. That sounds all good and everything, right? But those, those um, religious institutions, they don't pay any fucking taxes. So they're going to get into the real estate game and they're going to benefit from everything in, in that program and not have to pay taxes on any of it, which I am fundamentally opposed to. But this is what Adams is doing. He's, He's creating, this is where he's really getting, his, he's making his power grab through Brooklyn and doing these things, redistricting, rezoning. He's playing a will, kind of a Willie Brown moment here, although the demographics are different, right? Willie Brown was a master, and, and, and Adams is kind of this way too. Willie Brown was a master of appealing to the upper class. Willie Brown could tap into Pacific Heights, Knob Hill, and get a lot of money. But at the same time, he could show up at Glide Memorial with Cecil Williams. Um, he could cruise through the Western Edition. So Willie Brown, and this is where this model was really uh, carved out, was in San Francisco. And being able to, to tap into the, 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 the bodies, right, which supply the votes, in a place like San Francisco, which is diverse and tap into that. But the economic base is the upper middle class and the upper class that fuels these campaigns. So Adams is doing something similar, but not in the same way. Like Adams is not hanging out on park Avenue, but he's establishing a connection politically through real estate in these parts of Brooklyn, which will ultimately pay off for him in a pretty significant way. Let's keep going here. September 2017, <clears throat> Adams unveiled his recommendations for the future of Bedford Union Armory in Crown Heights. His recommendation was to disapprove the application with conditions calling for the inclusion of greater amount of affordable housing on site. Who's going to build those affordable housing units? Ah, that is really the question, isn't it? 
The Bedford Union Armory proposals would contain recreational facilities, spaces for local nonprofits, and two new residential buildings, including a condominium building along President Street in place of the Armory Stables. In 2018, Adams announced a joint $10 million 19 plaintiff lawsuit with the Housing Rights Initiative filed in Kings County Supreme Court and stemmed from a comprehensive investigation by HRI that found the New York real estate developer Kushner Companies, oh, engaged in legal construction practices in the 338-unit building, formerly the Austin Nichols and Company Warehouse, located at 184 Kent Avenue, Williamsburg. According to independent research, families, including children and babies, were exposed to highly toxic and cancer-causing substances, including, but not limited to, lung carcinogen, crystalline silica, and lead. So I don't know how the lawsuit, but he, he took on the Kushner family. That's interesting. Also in July, 2018, Adams urged the developer involved in the Kensington Stables site in Windsor Terrace to help preserve the stables as part of a new proposal for the site. Okay, well, we need those stables, but we also need to build here. I don't know how that suit turned out. Um, let's keep going here a little bit. So education, in partnership with Medgar Evers College, Adams created the Brooklyn Pipeline, which provides learning and enrichment opportunities. Two public school students in Brooklyn teaches parents to better support their children's education, facilitate professional development training to teachers and school leaders. Uh, can you say Marxist? He wrote an editorial in New York Daily News on the New York City Department of Education to test all pre-kindergarten students for gifted and talented programs, including African-American and Latino children who have historically been excluded. Adams entered Brooklyn into the Hour of Code challenge with Chicago Public Schools. This challenge was designed to improve the computer skills of students. Brooklyn students were victorious when more than 80% of the school districts throughout Brooklyn participated in the program. Okay. Adams is a supporter of Orthodox Jewish yeshivas, which have faced accusations for failing to properly educate students when it comes to secular subjects. On yeshivas, Adams has said children have a right to receive the best education. Not all communities, not all parents take the same approach. He suggested appointing community ambassadors to serve as intermediaries between yeshivas and city hall. He's smart. He's, so Adams has some political savvy here, right? Adams is a supporter of Israel. He has visited Israel several times, multiple times, including a 2016 delegation focused on public safety and economic development between the U.S. and Israel. He opposes the BDS movement. Now, he's also been to Senegal and Turkey. He's been to China seven times. Seven times this dude has been to China. He allocated $2 million towards a plan to build a 40-foot friendship archway in the Chinese neighborhood of Sunset Park, Brooklyn. But the Chinese government ended up rescinding the gifting archway, and the deal fell through. China is like, okay, we don't want to have too many fingerprints on this. We need to keep our relationship a little more formal, Eric. Seven times he's been to China. Now, going to Cuba, that's interesting. I've looked into um, I've looked into any details around his Cuba journeys. Nothing. Very hard to find. What the hell is he doing in Cuba? What is he doing in China? Senegal, Turkey, interesting, right? 
Um, so Adams is really involved in this whole land thing. And we could go on and on and on and on and on and on here. He's got a really long Wikipedia page. And I don't want it to um, take up the, the majority of the show. Right. There he is, masked up with a President Clone. Adams has never been married, but has a son, Jordan Coleman, with former girlfriend, uh, Chrisana Coleman. His son graduated as a graduate of American University as a filmmaker, television actor. Adams is currently in a relationship with Tracy Collins the Senior Youth Development Director for the New York City Department of Education. He's a vegan, by the way, because, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, oh, this is interesting. He's a fake vegan. He's one of these fake vegans. In February 2022, after several accounts of Adams eating fish in public surfaced, questions emerged about whether Adams was truly a vegan. In response, he stated that he follows a plant-based diet. Well, he follow, I am perfectly imperfect and have occasionally eaten fish. Uh, I guess he beat Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang didn't withdraw. I guess he beat him. He got 50.4% of the votes on the Democratic side. So Eric Adams um, just recently took out some billboards here in Florida, which is weird, right? I'm going to show this. It's just bizarre. Not that, you know, it's really any of my business, but when I looked there at Eric Adams, like I didn't know anything about his um, marital status or kids, but I thought to myself, is this guy gay? He's got kind of a gay vibe about him. And then he buys these billboards. And the whole thing, look, I'm not married. I've been married. I've been married twice. And I do have a biological son. So it doesn't mean just because you're not married, you're going to be, what's wrong with my lip? Is that coffee from this morning? What is that? Might be coffee. Anyway, okay. So um, let's look at this story on the Tallahassee Democrat. This is his way of wooing back New York residents. And it's, uh, if Florida has become too oppressive for you, come on back home. Let's play this here. It's on USA Today, their uh, little video. Attempting to demonize a particular group or community is unacceptable. And we are proudly uh, show our support and say to those who are living in Florida, listen, we want you here in New York. You know, we want you right here in New York City. And it's more than just saying that, it's also standing up and aligning ourselves uh, with the men and women of the LGBTQ plus community and stating that we are in unison with you and your right 
uh, to uh, have uh, self-identification, your right to be uh, live the lifestyle and live uh, the lives that you choose to live without any form of harassment. Oh, okay. That's mighty uh, democratic. So New York City launched a campaign of digital billboards and social media ads to run in five Florida cities that promote the Big Apple as a place for top city officials. In stark contrast to the Sunshine State, LGBTQ plus people are welcomed as tourists and residents. There's nowhere in Florida that says if you're gay and you're male, we're going to cut your dick off. Okay, there's, that's not happening in Florida. Or if you're gay and you're female, um, I don't know what the equivalent would be. But that's not happening. There, there is a bill that said, look, we don't want our schools teaching and promoting a certain curriculum. It has nothing to do with excluding people from, you know, following their own chosen sexual identification path. Just ask Dave Rubin. Florida welcomed him with open arms. Dave Rubin is happy to be in Florida. Dave Rubin and his lover, husband, partner, father, mother of his kids, theoretically, whenever they show up, he loves it there. Even from L.A. to Miami. Why? Because he can get bagels in Miami. Good bagels. I'm joking a little bit, but that's that's kind of true. And I've, I've joked about this before. So when he left, um, he thought about taxes. Probably about for 10 minutes. He thought about taxes. He's on, uh, I think he's on The Blaze. Isn't that right? Doesn't doesn't Glenn Beck promote his show? Is he on The Blaze? So he could have moved to Dallas. Could have been very close to The Blaze Studios. Pay no taxes in Texas, just like no state taxes in Florida. But Texas is a little too rough and tumble, I think. So Dave Rubin moved to Miami. He's not going to New York. In fact, he left New York to go to L.A. Then he left L.A. to go to Miami. So it's not that Florida is out to persecute gay men and women. They just don't want school districts indoctrinating and grooming their kids. And that that Ron Perlman, who's a total moron, went after Ron DeSantis because he thought that DeSantis named his bill, the don't say gay bill. No, that's what people inside of that community were referencing. The don't, don't that that's what they called it. That's not what DeSantis called it. Ron Perlman, who's one of these actors who thinks they're fucking geniuses went after Ron DeSantis for stomping on the First Amendment. He made a total, utter fool of himself. 
by the way, I'm kind of a fan of those Hellboy movies. I think more because of the uh, director, who the stylization of those movies is incredible. Anyway. Um, but New York, Florida is not targeting gay people. So th th this is just a PR stunt on Adam's part. The ads announced Monday by New York City Mayor Eric Adams targeted a new Florida law that imposes new restrictions on discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in Florida schools. The parental rights and education legislation, the ones one critics dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill, seats parental rights and education. Doesn't say don't say gay. Was signed into law last week by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis after it got approved by the GOP-dominated legislature. Opponents have already challenged it in federal court. So he's got these billboards. Mayor Adams is doing Florida a favor, Christina Pushaw, DeSantis' press secretary, told the USA Today Network. If anyone's so upset about our governor defending the parental rights that they want to leave Florida for a crime-ridden socialist dystopia, our state would be better off without them. In fact, the mayor should pay for their flights to New York City. Nice job. Good job, Christina. The law prohibits Florida educators from teaching sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through grade uh, through third grade classrooms. What, in fourth grade, it gets becomes okay? It bars discussion such topics, bars discussing such topics in a manner that is not age or developmentally appropriate for students, which could extend the ban to higher grade levels. Parents can sue a school district if they notice a violation. That's a little soft, if you ask me. Oh, is this is um, these these are the billboards? Are you kidding me? Look at this. Free speech is not alive in New York City. When other states show their true colors, we show ours. People say a lot of ridiculous things in New York. Don't say gay isn't one of them. Loud, proud, still allowed. Well, really, how, how well does that free speech stand up in New York City? I'll tell you how well it doesn't stand up. Why don't we ask Daniela Jampel how well free speech stands up? Angry mom who confronted Adams on toddler mask mandate fired from city job. Uh-oh, looks like Jada Pinkett Smith's ex-lover calls out entanglement affair in new song. Well, that should uh, do wonders for their marriage. Who's that? MLB great. Announces divorce days after wife wife's brain surgery. Yikes. All right, let's get into this. So this is this woman who openly questioned um, Adams at this press conference around the masks. Where's the, where's the video? Let me find the video here. Here we go. Let's play this. To renege on his promise to. 
She lost her job. Let me see if I can find the video where she speaks out here. I'll just read this a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Let's, I think it might be here. You get to hear her talk. hearing this. All right. Sorry, a little interference from the last video. Okay, let's play this. This is her. This is Daniela confronting Adams. You told parents to trust you, that you would unmask our toddlers. Ten days ago, you stood right here and you said that the, the masks would come off on April 4th. That has not happened. You reneged on your promise. And not only did you renege on your promise, you had your lawyers race to court on Friday night to overturn a state court. Said, no, 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 no. Let her, let her finish because you let her start. Go ahead and finish, ma'am. Okay. But you got to come to a conclusion. Can't do it. Okay. Get, come to a pinky. Turn on your phone so you can get my answer correct. All right. Let's look at this guy here. Okay. He's got. <laughs> um, to say he's eccentric. Might be a bit of an understatement. What the fuck is going on here? All right, let's keep going. To a conclusion. Okay, how are you back there? March 17th, that mm -hmm. you would trust me, I will unmask your toddlers. You had your lawyers race to court on Friday night, arguing that there would be irreparable harm if children under five were allowed to take off their masks today, along with their older siblings in school. So my questions are, what is the irreparable harm to children age two to four taking off their masks, just as they do in Long Island, just as they do in Westchester. When will you, and when will you unmask our toddlers? Thank you. Uh, as I stated, as you indicated, I made the announcement that we were looking to announce today, which is Monday, to uh, take the mask off to two to four years old. But I also stated, if we see an uptick, we will come back and make the announcement of what we're going to do. We're going to pivot and shift as COVID is pivoting and shifting. There's a new variant. The numbers are increasing. We're going to move at the right pace, and that's the role I must do. That's what I stated. I'm living up to my promises. Um, he probably did not exactly state it in that way, just to be honest, right? So she wound up losing her job. She wound up losing her job. Let me 
me keep this going here. Hold on one second. Jampel later slammed the mayor for punishing toddlers because he does not have the political will to put masks on everybody. So here are these moms, here are these Gen X moms coming out, right? These fierce moms, some millennial moms too, mostly Gen X moms. These women are Gen X range. I can tell you that right now. Chiron and Aries. Um, <clears throat> Lexi Casper, mom who helped distribute the flyer, said she wants parents to have a choice on face coverings. This is just about mass choice, said Casper at the World Trade Center path shop. Don't move back to New York City. <clears throat> Mayor Adams is masking toddlers and only toddlers, which is true. Right? This, this guy is at the 11th hour changing the rules. Well, there, so there are two things that are significant about this. Number one is that he's announcing that there is a, um, uh, a new variant. Okay, so get used to that. Get used to this whole new variant discussion. It's coming because at some point they're going to have to wind Ukraine down and they need to have something else waiting in the wing. And it's already brewing. They've shut down Shanghai. I've talked about this. They've shut down Shanghai, which is one of the largest cities in the world and a port city. And literally, you have to like open your door because they're dropping groceries at your place in Shanghai. So this is what's on the back burner right now. So he's being told this because they, they, they want to be able to bring this back out into the open, right? So if he lets the kids get unmasked, basically they're admitting that it's over and they can't do that. They have to keep this thing going. And I'll just be really upfront. Eric Adams is a whore. He's a total whore. And that's why he's doing what he's doing. She worked for the city. She was uh, in uh, like uh, the legal department of the city. She lost her job. So you can have free speech in terms of, you know, being gay or homosexual or pedophilic or whatever, like that's okay. But if you want to speak up in regards to a law and call the mayor out on him going back in his word, that will cost you your job. So the hypocrisy of the political situation in New York is clear. I mean, it's always when you deal with politics, politics is hypocritical, period, in general. There's, it never lives up to people never live up to what they're going to say that they're going to do. And if they do, it's only because it's convenient for them and serves their political interests. That's the only reason. I wanted to get into more about <clears throat> Eric Adams and his relationship with this guy named Don Peebles. But I also know that I have to talk a little bit today about Ted Kaczynski um, because it's on the, uh, it's on the uh, thumbnail. I do want to talk about Kaczynski a little bit. But before I do, I have to just touch base with this thing on Adams and uh, Don Peebles. And Don Peebles is this real estate mogul in New York City and in places like Philadelphia, uh, Baltimore. So maybe I'll get into this a little bit tomorrow. I try to follow up on Eric Adams' Aqueduct Casino bid scandal interview transcript reveals contradictions and shaky memory. So there was a big birthday bash 
at a Manhattan club. And the guests were the bidders for the Racino. That's a casino racing contract who donated thousands to his campaign. So he made $37,000 on his birthday, 38. Like that, he gets to use any way he wants. And it was at this fundraiser. And um, there, there's Aqueduct, the Racino. And this guy, Don Peebles, enters into the conversation. There's John Sampson, his buddy. Let's see what it says about John Sampson. By July of that year, the, as the aqueduct selection process inched forward, then Senate Majority Leader Malcolm Smith had been replaced by Senate Senator John Sampson, head of the Democratic Conference. Remember now, Adams brokered that deal in a typical Willie Brown kind of like play to get Sampson to be the compromise candidate, right? To be the majority leader. With Adams' assistance, then steered selection process to back AEG for the governor to approve. AEG is the group that is going to theoretically run the Racino, right? But then Don Peebles comes into play. And Don Peebles is this guy who's made a shit ton off of um, property and getting, you know, bids on property that he is um, cheating on. This is not uncommon, by the way. It's what happens in real estate. And he's got his whole Elsher. Anyway, I want to dive into this a bit more because it gets into the DNA of Eric Adams and what he does. And Eric Adams is a fixer. He's a middleman and he's a fixer. And since he's a Virgo, he's mutable. So he's all over the place. Right? He can be socialist. He can be capitalist. He can be, um, you know, pro-Yeshiva. Who, If you ask those Yeshiva people, they're probably anti-gay, just, just to be honest. But then he can be pro-gay. right? So he's every man. He's, he's every man and no man. He has a position for everything and, and, and no position on anything, which makes him the perfect mayor. So we'll get into more of that maybe tomorrow. I do want to start the discussion on Ted Kaczynski because I've been listening to his manifesto, which probably puts me on a list. But um, we're going to get into Ted Kaczynski a little bit. And the reason why I wanted to talk about Ted Kaczynski is because Kaczynski has a very unique um, theory on power. Okay, underneath Ted Kaczynski's anti-technological stance is this concept and theory of the individual in power and why society has de-evolved is because individuals do not understand the concept of power. Now, when he talks about power, He's not talking about it in like, you know, the Hitlerian sense is the will to power. He's looking at power from a primal perspective, meaning that if you were primal man or woman, that you had to assert your power in order to survive. 
but you had to kill animals in order to eat. You had to, through the sweat of your brow, build a shelter so that you could survive. And so he links these things to personal power. And as a result of this personal power, the individual could experience autonomy. And he believes that autonomy is the ultimate goal of the individual. And it's through the, uh, the exertion and the manifestation of personal power that autonomy is achieved. Now, that said, in the world where technology has, in many regards, robbed people of their ability to have a some degree of personal power, right? Technology is the reason to blame. And he's not just talking about this technology. He's also talking about the technology that powers the Industrial Revolution. Ted Kaczynski is a genius. There's no doubt about it. Um, he's flawed and damaged, but he's a genius. When you get into his manifesto, I mean, I think it is right up there with Nietzsche and anybody else who's examined the human condition as it relates to power. And he brings it forward and he dissects it into the left-right paradigm, which is really important to, you know, you know, wrap one's head around. And how he looks at the so-called left as it relates to power is fascinating because for the left, it's institutional power. They have no individual power. So they back institutions and they back movements. So when you look at something like, I don't know, Black Lives Matter, why was Black Lives Matter so popular? It was popular because people who had no individual power were identifying with an institution and a movement that somehow they were able to project into, like it became their power. And he, he says, uh, and he likens this to the same kind of identification that people have with sports teams. It's the same thing. So in essence, Black Lives Matter was like the New England Patriots or the Pittsburgh Steelers or, um, you know, the uh, uh, Showtime Lakers. It was just political. And that's why they do things like back the mask and back Fauci. It's because they have no power. So they have to identify with the institution. And by identifying with the institution, not only do they get to experience some form of power, but if they identify with the institution deep enough, they'll be able to exert that power. Maybe it's on row six at the Kroger's. And if you're not wearing a mask, they'll exert that power. Now, I will, I'm going to mention something here. A friend of mine who went to a conference that was, that was a healing conference. This is healing. So we're talking about people that help other people, right? Get better. She just so happens to be white. Throughout the conference, she was reminded constantly about her white privilege. But guess who? Other white women. Not only that, but, and this is an absolute truth, I'm not indulging in hyperbole here. They were doing spells to bind men. 
they were doing spells to bind men and masculine toxicity, masculine toxicity, toxic masculinity, right? That's what they were doing. I swear to God, they were doing binding spells at a conference for women who were supposedly healers. And I'm not talking eye of nude shit, right? These are hands-on practitioners. So this is the identification with the institution and the power. So what do they do? Well, we're going to use our power here and we're going to invoke supernatural power in order to bind men to a spell and continue to disempower them. This is nuts, but this is the ultimate outgrowth of what Ted Kaczynski is talking. Oh, by the way, he doesn't spare the right. He also gets into the the false trap of conservatives when it comes comes to power but he clearly leans into the left because the left is way more disingenuous in their relationship to power so we're going to get into more ted kaczynski tomorrow i'm just setting the table here okay with him to try to give you an understanding about the basis of the foundation of his um manifesto now i'm not here to um you know, uh, endorse the methods of Ted Kaczynski, right? His understanding of these dynamics is in many ways separate from his application as to how to get his power back. And there's a lot of inconsistencies with Ted Kaczynski, which I'll get into. Like he's not perfect. He can't, he can't always live up to the rigorous standards of his own manifesto, which probably also ate at him. And I'll show you why tomorrow there's, he's kind of running a big shame program. So we're gonna do a bit of a deeper dive with Kaczynski. I'm just setting the stage, okay? Setting the stage, the manifesto is really about power and why the individual has no power and, and lessening power in the face of increasing technology and what that technology does to society and the individual. So setting the stage, I'm going to come back a little bit tomorrow because we're double tracking here. I guess the moon is in Gemini, right? So I'm not too far afield. I'm going to go back into Eric Adams a little bit tomorrow because I want to finish up on this in this whole relationship with Adams, Don Peebles, real estate, land, New York city, um, these, you know, manipulating, their position within the government, affordable housing. And by the way, because they are a so-called minority, right? It opens the door for a backdoor privilege, which Eric Adams has no problem exploiting. And I'm sure Don Peebles has no problem either. Although if you look at Don Peebles, you'll scratch your head. You have to look real hard to see if Don Peebles is really a minority. That's number one. And number two, he clearly doesn't live like, you know, the uh, 90, 90, 99%. Trust me on that. So we'll revisit that tomorrow just a little bit because I want to close that loop. And then we'll get into a deeper dive around Kaczynski. And um, we'll try to finish that up tomorrow. Although it's going to be hard because there's a lot with Kaczynski. Okay. Thanks for being here. I hope you found today's show <clears throat> meaningful and got something out of it because when we have these public figures i like to look at 
you know, who they are, where they came from, and, you know, what kind of influences have their hooks in them. Because I think it's important. It's important to go a few levels deeper with some of these characters, particularly Eric Adams. New York, good luck. You got a handful right there. All right. Thanks for being here. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say it when's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Join me back here tomorrow, 9-11 Central Standard Time. And you're welcome to join us here on 15minutesofflame.com. And um, that'll do it. Bye for now.